0: All right, let's take a quick little detour away from college basketball. We'll get back to it next segment with Greg Polinsky. But you tell me they're already changing the college football playoff again.
1: Well, yeah, they've been certainly talking about this because we've talked about it, the notion of going to a 14-team model. Uh, But yesterday, uh, some information came out that offered a little more context to what they're talking about in terms of this model and – They're talking about it going into effect in 2026, which is just around the corner. It sounds like this newest format that we're about to go into would only last for a season or two. Um, But, yeah, they're talking about a 3-3-2-2-1 format. Um, And what's really interesting, we've been seeing a lot of chatter about the Big Ten and SEC talking about how they're going to gain power in terms of, the college football playoffs and their involvement in it. Well, it would happen here because what they're talking about is each – for the Big Ten and the SEC, each conference would get three automatic bids. So each conference gets three automatic bids? Out of those two conferences. Sure. The two, you know, the the, the Mac Daddies. Then two bids guaranteed for the ACC and the Big 12, and then one to the highest-ranked group of five teams. So that's 11 – essentially automatic bids that are already spoken for then there's only three left that are at large berths and they'd be divided up amongst the th- the next highest ranked teams okay um but it, again it's it's almost like well for sure if you're not sidled up with the big 10 or the sec you're you're starting to be on the outside looking in and then again if you're not in one of those power they talk about power five for a group of five teams the power four conferences they're gonna dominate this format, and I guess they, you know, the thinking is they would anyway. But it's, uh, it's a little dis- disconcerting to me.
0: Well, how does it feel to be an ACC and a Big Twelve member and only get two? Are you looking right. at that and saying, ah, no? Or are you saying, okay, fine, yeah, we get it. You're, you you 2 are better than us. We'll be happy to get our two automatic spots in because, I'd say there'd be some years where the ACC wouldn't have two teams. Like this year, would they have had two teams in a, in a fourteen team playoff? Like. After the conference championship game, after Louisville got beat by a Florida State team with their third-string quarterback, like, was there another ACC team that would have been a top, you know, 12th team?
1: I still think Louisville might have gotten in, even off the heels of that. Surely to
0: God not. Surely to God they would have said, okay, they can't beat Florida State's third-string quarterback who can't complete a pass. Surely that would have been enough for us to quit pretending like they were a legitimate threat. Yeah. I don't know. Now most years I think Clemson will be better, and right. like yeah, you could say there's there's going to be two ACC teams that are are worthy, but I don't think there was this year.
1: Yeah, yeah. and There's always the threat of Miami. At least we all think there is, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's interesting to see how this plays out. Also, the the part is that I'm paying attention to is the language that the three remaining berths would be divided up against the next highest ranked teams. I think of a team like Notre Dame that you know in the past it's always been kind of a given that they they they're absolutely in the conversation but they they may not be in this regard
0: i still think they would be among the highest the next three highest or whatever when you get down to like the ninth or tenth team i would think that if they are worth a damn they'll be a top 12 team and get in yeah does it say how the automatic qualifiers are handed out is it just the three highest ranked teams in the conference
1: it doesn't say um yeah because
0: to me that's an important thing like how are we deciding that? Is one a conference champion? Or are we just pretending like we don't care about the conference championship anymore? I've seen some talk, Bob, that the SEC and would be looking at doing their own like four team playoff that's a part of the college football playoff. So maybe you, you do four divisions, four pods or whatever, and then the best from each pod comes in and they play a best of, you know, they, they play a basically a, a final four, a semifinals thing. And the winner gets one of the automatic qualifiers, but like, what does that mean for the other two? Yeah. So to me, that's the big question.
1: Yeah. And this still would have to go to a vote um, with the conference commissioners and Notre Dame being part of that decision process. But uh, and I'm I just now, of course, it escapes me. But they were saying too that um, there would be. Yeah, this was it. The plan would be also to reduce the number of first round buys from four to two, okay. With an extra game added to the first round. That part I actually like.
0: Okay, and four four out of twelve probably does seem high in the you know in, yeah. in, in getting buys, but also at the same time, if you are moving the buy, at at what point does being a conference champion not really matter? At what point do we dilute the the SEC or the Big 12 or Big 10 or ACC championship even further. Because if you're not giving out a first-round bye to the conference champion, why not, if you're pretty much locked into being a three- or four-seed at best, why not just go ahead and kind of say we're focused on winning actual playoff games? Because I don't know how we'll actually feel when it gets here because we've never experienced it before, but we've seen a little bit enough of it in the past with – Alabama and Georgia, you know, having their rematch and stuff. But, like, we're going to prioritize, I'd imagine, playoff wins over conference championship. Yeah. Kind of like here in basketball. Like, now that we have broken the 40-year streak or whatever, we're going to prioritize NCAA tournament wins over SEC conference tournament wins. Right? Yeah. If, if you get the regular season championship, there will be a big portion of the fan base kind of hoping Tennessee loses. Early in the SC tournament. That's completely fine if we lose Friday or Saturday because you want the extra rest. Right. So, like, in college football, if you're not giving out a first-round bye, which is what they're doing in the 12-team format, which are four teams getting a bye too much? Yeah, probably. But it also gives you an actual carrot to chase in your early December conference championship games. If you remove that, how much does the championship actually matter? Like, would Tennessee still won an SEC championship if they got a chance to play for one? Sure, because they haven't won one in a long time. Would Georgia actually care? Or is Georgia looking at that as like, hey, let's opt out of the SEC championship game to get ready for the playoff? Yeah. I don't know. Now, maybe you would say that's silly. Teams are still going to desperately want to win the conference. Maybe.
1: Maybe. I also thought, does this escalate for – that highest-ranking group of five team, when we talked about it last week about the 12-team format, we were saying that highest-ranking group of five team is probably, there's a really good chance they would be the 12 seed, right? And so they'd be playing the five seed. Well, now, if that's still held true, they'd be the 14th seed. They'd probably play the third seed. And if you think about that's you know that's going to be someone like, God, you know, it could be Ohio State, could yeah. be Michigan. I mean, it's yeah. like it's kind of a kind of a death sentence maybe for whoever, you know, you, Yeah, good news. You get into the playoffs. The bad news is you're gonna be playing an even more elite team in the first round. Um But
0: hey, you wanted to be in the playoff, didn't you? So yeah. there you go. I mean, I think it's different for a group five team. Group five, the goal is making a playoff. Just getting there, right? Yeah, just getting there is is a Program altering accomplishment and almost assuredly would lead to whatever coach gets on that platform probably leaving before the team even plays their game. Honestly, like there's a chance that means that he was just he would just dip and say, "Hey, I'm out. I'm good. Thanks for the job. Thanks for uh, thanks for everything, kids. I'm gonna go get ready for my big time Power Five job I just got." Now you know maybe that's a little dramatic, and maybe like if the school would stay on and the player would stay on, and, and you know. Coaches boys and try to win a championship sure but like also it's not far-fetched right because that guy whoever takes his team to the playoff is going to be a hot commodity yeah and probably get hired away and th- you know yesterday i don't know if you saw their they're, they're pro- proposing having three signing days now
1: <laughs> No, do you I, see that i did not see that
0: do you remember what it was sam it was like there's a wednesday in like july they want to do and then, like the the next Wednesday immediately after the season, or something crazy like that. And then, I guess February, I think is the is what they said. Is it February? I, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I don't I'm know.
2: Wrong. I don't remember all a lot of this honestly. I do remember seeing the headlines. I kind of remember it being that they're taking the February signing out. Maybe I think. Okay, I'll see if I can find the actual uh, stuff they had proposed here, but because I feel like it's they were doing more of the you know all these kids are now committing at the early signing day in like December so i think they were trying to maybe get rid of the february one
0: no no they're trying to get 3 okay they're trying to get 3 i got it right here big brain on me great great memory john thanks man <laughs> 3 signing days they want they're proposing the last wednesday in june not july the wednesday following the regular season and the first wednesday in february they want three separate signing days they want to take the well no they want to move it up well, I guess it would be the end of November, I guess. So not taking it out, just keeping it, but moving it up. What does that do? I guess it just – I guess it just – if you move it up three weeks, is, does it help that dead period, I guess? Does it help the coaches maybe have time to kind of – is it maybe the transfer portal? Maybe, would the transfer portal have something to do with it? Like, hey, because if you kind of know what your, your class looks like Immediately after the season, you got a better idea of what to do in the portal and who to keep, who not to keep. Versus, like, the portal happening while you're also trying
2: to recruit because the portal ha- starts happening, like, basically right when the season's over, right? Yeah. And you're dealing with that. So you're saying you don't want to have kids exiting your program and then have already had a recruiting class come in, and now you have holes where you could have it up. Maybe. Yeah. But also lets
0: you focus on each side. Like, sure, if you can lock it down that recruiting cycle, of the season, then you can spend the next month begging your players to come back. Yeah and yeah. gives like the athletes as many as much knowledge as possible of about where they stand versus kind of both things happening at the same time where Take players are leaving career, yeah. players are committing and it just kind of leaves you with you know scrambling and trying to figure that out maybe that's the rationale behind it i don't know but instead of yeah getting back to one signing day and simplifying things it's like hey let's add another one let's get
1: 3 what's uh the other thing that's interesting because it at least speaking for myself, when this all started being discussed, I was like, my God, man, we haven't even put the new format into play for the playoffs, and they're already talking. Well, some of this is driven, as usual, by TV deals, because we talked about this last week, the college football playoffs, current broadcasting agreement with ESPN expires after the 25 season, and then they're already in talks about getting the, the deal for another six years starting in 26 so they want to get this all in place so they can start to uh, shape the money that they're going to get from this sure that's that's part of it too so what that means is they're obviously moving fast in discussing it they're probably going to move quickly um, in terms of approving it or voting on it uh, they, they say here that the executive director of the college football playoffs set a soft deadline for mid-march to reach that final agreement so
0: can, can we not? Can, can we not just see what the 12-team playoff looks like first? Is it asking too much? Just to ask what that looks like—is that too much? It doesn't feel like it should be too much. Seems pretty reasonable. Doesn't feel like we're asking for too much just to see what it looks like. We're changing it before we even see what the 12-team. Maybe the 12-team playoffs perfect. They're already greedy like hey let's add an extra game come on let's remove those buys three versus 14 is really going to hit come on guys you think five versus 12 is going to be cool sure it it will be all right but like three versus 14 that's going to be good too and and four versus 13 we don't want to miss out on those matchups
1: they got to have a name for it you know you have march madness for basketball what's this going to be called like december dysfunction or i don't know
0: what the hell are we waiting for just go to 16 and make it a full bracket yeah whatever right like, no sixteen's too many no the the key the magic number's fourteen that's right you can't you can't do abs in in seven minutes it's eight minutes eight's the magic number no one can do abs in seven minutes it's eight minute abs can't do sixteen teams no no fourteen that's the
2: key that's the key
1: now well, that'll just be another. Uh, level up that they'll do in a couple of years. They'll talk about 16. Maybe. I mean, I, I
0: do think there's a big benefit to having a bye, right? So, like, basically they've created the NFL playoffs, right? The NFL yeah. playoffs have 14 teams, right? That's right. And have two byes. Yep. So they basically have just created the NFL playoffs, which, you know, if you're college football, I guess that makes sense. Get as many marquee games as you can get. College football is the second most popular sport in
2: the in the country, just feel like there's so much more parody in NFL football to make it make those matchups more entertaining. Sure, kind of. We we'll have some. We have some. We have plenty of clunkers in the NFL playoffs too, though. True.
0: Like I think 14 teams in the NFL playoffs is too many. Like the seven seeds that get in typically aren't I any agree. any good. But I don't know. I still watch. I still watch
2: that slop. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we're gonna watch the 14 playoff too. Yeah, it's not gonna matter. Yeah. 12 or 14. I'll still be watching still be watching. I'll still enjoy that slop.
0: What was it Don Trump said about McDonald's? <laughs> I'll eat it all up. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> it's very bad, but I'll still eat that filth. That's how I feel. A 14-team yep. playoff, probably going to be a lot of blowouts. That's what I'm worried about, though, about the 12-team playoff, is, like, we might already have too many blowouts as it is. Like, adding the 3-14 and 14 and the 4-13 and 13 might just lead to even more blowouts. It might be even worse now, but whatever. I'll still watch it
1: it's uh i'm I'm not kidding though they're going to have to have some sort of marketing name for this besides the college football playoffs that's just that's too uh that's just too pedestrian the chase for the crystal ball yeah it'll be something i don't know what march madness was just too easy that was uh that was so simple this will be a little harder Holiday throwdown, or I don't know. It's gonna be it'll be something. They'll never miss a good marketing opportunity.
0: Let's get to Coach Polinski after the break. See what he thought about last night's performance and how big of a win it was. Stick with us. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio.
1: Everybody Welcome back to The Morning Show. Got Bob Baskerville here with John Reed. And uh, we've been spending the morning talking about some really good stuff, mostly tied around our Vols. And last night's big win over Auburn, and there was kind of a special performance. That's understating things. Uh, Great individual performance by Dalton Connect. And as we do every week, we're fortunate enough to have Coach Greg Polinsky on to talk a little bit about the games that have passed, what lies ahead. But, Coach, welcome. Good morning. Um, what did it feel like being on the sidelines and what you were watching? You've seen a lot of great basketball, a lot of great players, but what we saw last night was truly special. would love your take on what,
3: what you yeah, were witnessing. You know, um, first of all, it is a really good morning. I hope everybody enjoyed what was a – and Coach Barnes said it, you know, in his post game. So I'll echo it. Um, High, high high-level basketball game. Auburn was terrific. Um, Broom was just unstoppable. Um, Williams, they're a big, physical, old, strong team. Um, Really well-coached. All the things that are cliche, but it's all true. Uh, Seeing them up close, it was a lot different than even watching them on video this year. And, um, you know, uh, Coach Clark did a great job prepping the guys, and um, and I'll get to your question, I promise. <laughs> um, but I told the assistant coaches, you know, Justin and all of us afterwards that I'm trying to think back to the 23 years that I was fortunate enough to be in the NBA, attend these kind of games, and um, I don't remember ever seeing anything like that on a college level um, in that atmosphere, that type of, you know, defense, uh, athleticism. Um, I just don't. I, it may be that I'm getting old, Bob, but I, you know, they say short term memory goes, my long term memory is still pretty good. So It was really special, and I think the Vol fans, you know, you want to say I hope they appreciate it. I know they do, and they were unbelievable, let me say that, without trying to be a promo here. Our fans would not allow us to lose that game, and that's what you get in Thompson Bowling Arena. They they were just fantastic, but Dalton, um, offensively, that was Probably something that I haven't seen from any individual type player in that type of big moment, in that type of setting, with those type of circumstances.
0: Coach, I'm curious what you would say to Bob, my my, my dear co-host here, who had to leave because of his daughter at the 12 minute mark, and he missed the Dalton Connect show down the stretch.
3: I feel sorry for him. <laughs> I, hey, uh, hey,
1: coach! I watched uh, the I watched uh, the replay. Let me, say,
3: <laughs> let me say this, man: family is always first. God so bless. I, you. I applaud that, but uh, it was great. Um, I, th- I think you know it. It sounds crazy, but uh, does everybody realize that Josiah Jordan James was really good defensively last night?
0: Oh yeah, we gave him a shout out. He you know, led to Bruce Pearl's four meltdown blocks. and technical his four blocks. He was he was nails on the defensive end.
3: He was nails, and um, and again, it may not sound like it. We, you know, they scored eighty four points, right? So you may say, "Come on, you guys weren't too terrific." And honestly, I got in. I watched Ole Miss, Alabama. I, you know, we we split up our preps, and I've got Alabama coming up, so my attention's been there. But um, I can't wait to watch the game and uh, and see it, you know, because right now I haven't. But I do know that um, there were some guys that really did some big things, the combination of Tobey and Jonas scoring inside, just the defensive effort of Zakai on the ball. Um, we just had a number of things, you know, and, and Zakai has played better for us during the course of this year. Uh, but still, you look at his, his stat line, it was really good. And he came up big. But it was just it was just a great night. I, I I don't know how long you guys have been watching vol basketball. You know, I'm sure longer than I. I've only been, you know, privileged enough to be here three years, but man, oh man, oh man.
0: Yeah, I called it the best twelve minute stretch in Tennessee basketball history from a player. I don't I don't know. If there's another performance, you know, back in the day, maybe Bernard King had an explosion like that. Maybe Allen Houston caught fire. But for my money, it was the best 12-minute performance from any Tennessee player. You talked a little bit about Zakai, And something I noticed, and I'm curious if maybe it's factual or if it's just kind of playing the result, but it seemed like Auburn, especially early, was kind of focusing on on staying on the ground around Zakai and not giving up the lobs or easy looks to Adu whenever, you know, Zakai likes to dribble around the, the paint and kind of create from from the baseline. Was that something that you noticed with Auburn trying to, you know, impact him around the rim and in the paint, or is that just kind of an early season or early game, you know, situation that maybe I am overreading into?
3: No, I think they did a great job. Um, they got up into him. They're physical, you know, their guards. Um, uh, the young freshman from the Maiden Holloway is a young man we recruited, really good player. And, but the Trey Donaldson, you know, he's a big old point guard. And I think they tried to, I, I think I, without being in Bruce's locker room, that their their goal was, look, I don't know if our starting fives is good, but he talks about this a lot. We have depth and we're going to pick them up full court and we're going to make them play in every possession and we're going to be physical. And like you said, we are not going to give them uh, any freebies at the rim. We're going to be big, we're going to stay tall, we're going to be vertical. I think that assessment is true.
1: I was thinking about this when I saw Jalen Williams come into the game last night because all the talk was, you know, there was, I guess in my opinion, a little bit of gamesmanship going on that he may play, and then a lot of people were saying, no, he's doubtful, he's doubtful. But from your perspective in the locker room, you guys go ahead and prepare for that as if he's going to play?
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Rod and um, Lucas, who, who, you know, they were, like, absolutely. I mean, you know, when we did scout, scout team, you prepare like he's going to play. And you know the rest of the personnel well. So I didn't know if he played that much. Um, I think he played 21 minutes, but he did – play and obviously impacted the game and uh but without know, you always prepare like we've got alabama coming up and uh latrell reitzel has been out for alabama he was again last night but we will prepare as if he's going to play this game and he's a terrific player as well been on a real tear from three
0: how do you handle the quick turnaround to go to Alabama? Because in any other situation, I think you would worry about a little bit of a letdown game. But being, you know, basically already in March in the championship in the regular season, being on the line these next couple of games, do you have to keep the team grounded and get them refocused? Or is it just something that this veteran group is already kind of equipped to prepare for?
3: Yeah, I think you said it. I Well, you at least hope, right? if you're sitting in our chairs, um, your chairs, our fans' chairs, everybody, but that these guys will, um, you know, we have, I borrowed a saying from my father who used to say, when you get done patting yourself on the back, give yourself a kick in the, (laughs) and get going again. And I think our team does that pretty well. Like, I think the guys are pleased. I think they know that, you know, This was a hard-fought win. There's really nothing to gloat about. We are playing this as if we're rolling through the NCAA tournament. Um, And we got another NCAA tournament game coming up, because Alabama will be a force, um, I believe, in the tournament, um, as Auburn will, and potentially South Carolina and Kentucky. And those are our games that remain, right? So um, it's... Quite a string of games to get on the stretch, but I think our guys understand it. They know it's the next game up, but they also know we have a tough slate ahead, and we're looking at that as preparation, and obviously we'd love to win the SEC championship. So that would mean a lot, but it's going to take a lot of work.
0: You know, last week when we talked to you, we asked about the quick turnaround playing A&M, then getting them two weeks later, and the game plan and how that shifted. Obviously, the game plan against Alabama the first go around worked. However, this time you're going on the road. Do you take the road into account when making a game plan? And we have to do this different differently because the officiating is going to be a little different, and the crowd's going to be in here. So maybe let's go a little slower. Let's let's work the ball in the post, or is it just hey, this is what we're going to do, home or away, neutral site? This is our game plan.
3: You know, um, I've got some thoughts, but. Of course, Coach Barnes will make those decisions. Um, you know, we'll present. We we put out. I always say we put out. You know, the buffet, and then he picks off of it. And um, so, between now and um, we're we're we've got a pretty good idea of what we what we think, at least to present to Coach. We'd like to do or how we're going to play them. But I don't think there's any real mystery to play in Alabama. Um, you better get back on defense. You better be ready for a shot in the first ten seconds and a good one, because they are still the number one team in the country offensively. Uh, they're setting all kinds of records in terms of scoring over ninety-five. I don't know what it is six times now in SEC play. Um, they're prolific, you know, offensively and defensively. You guys know we're going to get their best effort. Um, in front of a really hostile crowd, that, you know, this game means something. And I think this is what is tremendous for college basketball. Our fans, their fans in the SEC. And, you know, we're going in there and we're going to compete. And um, hopefully we can execute um, what we've worked on over these next two days.
0: Would you rather scheme and game plan for a team that's number one offensively in the country or number one defensively?
3: Well, I say this (laughs) tongue-in-cheek, probably defensively. Um, You know, there's not a whole lot you can do sometimes with Alabama. I mean, I I think this is a really good offensive team for Tennessee. Yeah, Dalton has helped us a lot. But I just think our experience, um, the addition of Jordan Ganey, uh, the improvement of, of guys, Tobey, Jonas, um, the addition even of these freshmen when they've helped us in moments that we're a much better offensive teams and analytics would tell you that as well right we've been in the top 20 most of the year so we feel like we can score but they're they're going to they're going to buckle down there we know that uh, but a lot of things Alabama does are you know what we call point 5 and the day it's random it's based on concepts. It's based on philosophy. It's based on high-level, highly skilled players. And Nate Oates is a terrific coach. I mean, their schemes, very NBA-ish, uh, very difficult to guard because you can't necessarily prepare for this set or that set. We'll do that to some degree, but at the end of the day, you've got to be able to guard concepts, if that makes sense.
1: It does. We're here with Coach Greg Polinski. Coach, a couple more questions for you, uh, and always appreciate your time. Sticking with Alabama for one, um, was watching the second half of that game against Ole Miss last night, where they scored 64 points in the second half. Yep. Um, And you know, shot like 37 threes and. I mean, obviously, and, and John touched on this a little earlier uh, in our first go-round with Alabama, that was, we, we contained the perimeter really well. Is there a number with these guys in your mind where it's like, is it just as few as possible? Because it feels to me like it's, you know, if they're going to shoot over 33-pointers the way they shoot them, that can be trouble. Is there a number you guys set to try to control that, or is it just as few as possible?
3: Well, to say that obvious, as few as possible would be great. Yeah, you, we, you know, our joke always is, you know, we we pride ourselves on defense, and we're not going to shut anybody out. Um, I think in this game, I think we got to score. To state the obvious, I, you know, their record at home, I think over the last twenty eight games is twenty seven and one, ah, uh, in SEC play, and. You know, like us, they get the energy from the crowd. Um, you look at their percentages at home shooting the ball, except for Sears, who shoots it great everywhere. They are, they're better. Like a lot of teams, like many teams, they shoot the ball better at home. So we got a, a great challenge, is what I would say to our guys. What a number would be, uh, you know. Seventy-one here. Uh, I don't know that that's realistic. Might be, but we're gonna have to guard them. We're gonna have to make every shot a tough one that we can. We know they're gonna get some. Again, elite number one in the country offensively. So we got to make it. You know, the the best that we can to our ability. We got to take away. You know, the transition, which is easy to say and hard to do. Um, second shots. They are a really good offensive rebounding team. Um, they, they're just, they're a handful, man. They, they do a lot of things really, really well. And uh, I think Nate is still searching for that, that um, a defensive rhythm with his team. They've had moments, but you're always worried it's going to come against you, and I just hope it's not on Saturday. Um, but I, we fully expect them to play well defensively. We, we do. At home, in this type of game, this type of atmosphere.
2: Coach, going back to last night a little bit, just in a game where you have 46 combined fouls and 18 in the first nine minutes of that second half, what's kind of the, the mindset and maybe the message that that coaching staff is sending to your guys on just trying to settle them down and, and keeping them focused and trying to execute that game plan?
3: Uh, yeah, you know, I think officials have a sense sometimes what they don't, they don't want the game to get out of hand. Um, both teams are very aggressive. Uh, you know, Auburn might have been one of the – I'm just trying to think back. You know, I don't know another team that we've played that's been quite as aggressive defensively as Auburn was, and I say that in a complimentary way. Uh, physical, tough, got up into the ball, came at us, um, played to win, not to lose. Uh, all the things that, you know, high-level teams do when they go on the road. And um, I think the officials were were doing their best to keep this thing in check. Um, Again, without watching, I don't know if every call is correct, not correct, but I'll tell you this. um, You guys have watched enough basketball that if you have ever tried to officiate a game with the size of the men on that court, that athleticism, you are constantly making decisions. I think on advantage disadvantage, and I'm not officials, and I'm not Mike Eaves, who does an awesome job supervising the officials in our league. He's great, uh, so I think they have a game plan when they come in. I know they do. I mean, I have sat with those guys before, or ridden with them in a car when I was during my NBA scouting days, and they talk about teams and players and what they have to watch and what they have, which they should do. They've got a scouting report, believe it or not, on the game. That's what good officials do. And what they have to do to make sure that the game is high quality and doesn't get out of hand, and I, I would only guess that's what maybe went on during the stretch that you mentioned.
0: Yeah, it's almost like we talked about you know, a couple of weeks ago just in terms of the consistency. So that would make sense in terms of they come in with a game plan. The first half tends to go a lot smoother. And in the second half, it's almost like, okay, now the game's breaking out. We're going to call every little bump because we don't want this to get out of control. And that's kind of how it felt last night, too. The first half flowed well. The second half, pretty clunky at the beginning with a lot of fouls. But then, my God, Coach Polinski, it was beautiful watching Dalton connect down the stretch, bring Tennessee home. It's been a true joy for us to get to kind of experience this ride with you every week, talking about it, the team playing really well has a chance to do something really special here, you know, for, for this program and for this fan base. And we appreciate you for your time every week. Best of luck this weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Best of luck.
3: All right. Thank you guys. Always enjoy it. Thank you, man.
0: And you know, I I do think that's accurate in terms of just this team has obviously a, a good chance of doing something that's never been done here before. And it's a good group of guys. And you know, I, I like that Polinsky always wants to make sure he's giving a shout out to Josiah for doing the dirty work, right Like, hey, how about Josiah in his defense last night? four blocks? 100 percent correct. 100 percent correct. That's a something that deserves being applauded because I think too many people just want to know what can you do offensively, right? How many points can you score? And you look at Josiah's box score and not great when it comes to offense, right? He only hit one bucket, two points. It would be easy to look and say Josiah didn't have a good game. I think that would be very far from the truth. I thought he was in the mix in a lot of key plays, and I thought that he was playing really good defense.
1: Big statement, too. We've you know, we we've talked about this before. Coach Polinski has seen a lot of great players, a lot of them, over his career. And what he said about Dalton last night, that, man, that makes, me, that makes me feel good, man. That just, as a fan, and I mean, that's our guy.
0: 39 points. Yeah. You know, like, there's not too many college players that have had a better performance, especially not one that, that Coach Polinski would have had a front row seat for and be on the right side of. Let's grab a call. Joel wants to weigh in. Joel, good morning. The floor's yours.
4: Good morning, guys. Love the show. Thank you. Thank you, man. Got three things. Uh, first, and Dalton Connect, we trust. Amen. Uh, I agree. That was one of the best performances I think I've ever seen in my lifetime as a UT uh, UT fan. Um, absolutely legendary. Uh, number two, uh, Rick Barnes. Got to give that guy a shout out. The, the the chess match that he played last night, and the and moving the hit the pieces in and out with the foul trouble we were in and just matching these guys up with their, uh, you know, very, very good team. That was elite, absolute elite coaching, and I wanted to know your all's thoughts on that.
0: No, yeah, I mean, I give Barnes credit just for his overall evolution. You know, I've talked about that. I I thought the foul trouble point you made, Joel. Yeah, like in in the past, the moment Dalton Connect picks up his second foul, around the 10-minute mark of the first half, he goes to the bench and doesn't come back. Instead, Barnes stayed with him, and, you know, the offense stayed steady, and Tennessee went to halftime with a lead and felt pretty good with that. You know, I scratched my head a little bit when J.P. Estrella all of a sudden was in with a Waka, but, hey, Tennessee didn't lose the lead when that happened, so, you know, you, you were able to steal a couple of minutes at least with him. I thought Barnes was really good last night.
1: Yeah, and yeah, a very good point about working around the fouls. We, we talked briefly about – what I felt was an uneven job by the refs, but, I mean, in that game, 45 fouls called. And it was pretty evenly distributed, but that's a lot of fouls to work around. And so for Barnes and the way he responded to that, um, felt really good. felt really, really good because there's a lot of theories that, you know, Bruce has always had Coach Barnes's number. Um, didn't last night for sure. Yeah, man. It was, it was
4: a great game. Loved it. But I have, uh, and I'm sure you've got the burdens, too. I, I've got a, a, a bone to pick with our fan base. You know, we have one of the largest arenas in college basketball. And I had people in Thompson Bowling last night, and they said it was like a tennis match in there until halfway yeah. through the second half. Yep. These people, if they want to sit on their butts and and be quiet and watch the game, watch it at home. We need people in there... That are going to be screaming to the mountaintops for the balls. You go to any of these other other uh, college campuses, and they're losing their ever-loving minds um, when any big team comes in there. And we have a ch- our fans have the opportunity to be, you know, that sixth man on the court that's going to be disrupted. You saw how our team got fired up when Dalton Connect started going crazy, and the team really started gelling. It's when the crowd got into the game, and I'm just sick of watching our home fan base. Sit
0: there like losers. I agree with you and, and you know I said that at the beginning of the show as well I was there and I, I felt a little uneasy in my section because people weren't really standing up and it, it was kind of quiet and a tennis match you know I, I don't know if I'd go that extreme but it was it was a nice maybe a, a good clap after good plays and woo good job but only after good plays it wasn't you didn't have that desperation so many times in these big college games you almost have to just Push your team the entire forty minutes, and and a three minute dry spell. Cheer louder, you know. Cheer your team to score. Don't wait till they score. Cheer and stand up and push them to score. Push them to get stops. And it, like you said, it took until the ten minute mark of the second half before it really happened. And that was exactly when the the avalanche started rolling for
4: the Vols. Absolutely, guys. Appreciate it. Love the show. Just wanted to get my opinion out there. Hey, I appreciate
0: it, Joel. Thank you, Joel. time. Call anytime. Good call by Joel, and you know it's it is something I've noticed, and I, I've talked about it for years. Neutral site games felt the same way. You know, in baseball season. Whenever you're going head to head with LSU and Hoover a couple years ago, LSU an elite baseball fan base, and and Tennessee is learning and trying to get there, but like LSU cheered the entire damn game, and Tennessee had a lead on them. You know, this was been two years ago, not or maybe even three years ago in Hoover, or no, two years ago. Yeah. And, like, they were pumped up and ready to go. I thought the same way as neutral side against Michigan in the Sweet 16. They were loud the entire time. Tennessee had more fans, but Michigan was more locked in and louder. I don't know if it's a football mindset, but you'd think if it was a football mindset, you do cheer basically every defensive play. You do go to your feet and, and get loud for every defensive play. Basketball fans don't really do that, and it is a little disheartening. I don't know what the solution is. Other than, like, taking out the seeds, but obviously people want to sit down and be comfortable, so I don't know. I did get many messages about that, too, though, last night in terms of, like, wake these guys up, try to lead the charge, do this, this, and this. It's quiet. I don't know what the solution is. Ah! <laughs> That's how I was screaming.
3: Ah!
0: Because we should have one of if not the best home court advantage i mean it was twenty thousand people in there right. especially with the way this team's playing right
1: it was nice hearing because uh, i've been seeing some stuff on social media this morning about how after pearl's press conference there were people that waited around afterwards that cheered him on you know tennessee fans and stuff and look there's a debt of gratitude i get that but it's like give it up really it's give time it man we got a good coach it's 15 years ago god 2008 so, was 16 years ago.
0: Like, yeah. there's a full-ass kid driving around that wasn't alive when Tennessee and Memphis
1: played for number one in the country. Like, right. it's okay. Like, again, man, uh, Joel's observation was right. I mean, there was – and we heard it from, from Polinski too. I mean, there was some high-level play, coaching, everything going on last night. Not high-level reffing, but uh, <laughs> other than that, it was, uh, it was all high-level –
0: and I'll give it to the fans. We brought it the last 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. yeah, It was loud. For it sure. got loud the last
2: 10 minutes, for sure.
0: But, yeah, the previous 30 uh, left a little bit, bit to be desired.
2: And for, like, how close it was in the first half, there's no reason for it not to be that loud either.
0: Yeah, I agree fully. We'll wrap this show up on the other side. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio.
4: Atlanta brief spring training is on, and
1: the
3: road to a 7th straight division crown starts in Northport. Lacuna hit- I've had too much to drink. Had too much time to
0: think. So leave me uh-huh. Crying when you As we wrap up this show, it's the first time I'd been inside Thompson Bowling Arena at Food City Center this year. It was the first game I went to. Okay. I thought the presentation was good and you know, I, I thought the sound system sounded better. I gotta be honest, Stirl didn't get on my nerves like everyone. You know, that, that's always a big takeaway from the games was people saying he's too loud, but he didn't bother me last night. Felt like a good good game. The cassette stands moved fast. Feel like we got a good tight ship being ran over there right now. Things are good for Tennessee. Those tall drinks are nice, right? I know. I, I still grab just two at the beginning and just that that's my one in the first half. One, You know, the second half, and by the time the games are over, I'm, I'm good and ready to go.
2: People were probably really struggling in the second half because I think they cut the sales off at, like, the under-12 timeout. But oh, really? that was, like, an hour and a half in our game, you know, so uh, people could have.
0: Yeah. I think that would have been okay, going. though, to be in the seats and not getting up oh, yeah. to go get drinks during the, uh, the Dalton Connect show. Yeah. I didn't, realize, I didn't know what time they cut off, but I guess that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I noticed that when we were doing our uh, required early exit. I was like, I might (laughs) grab something, and then everything was shut down already. Um, Did you notice they took the the Thompson Bowling name off?
0: Yeah. I did. Not surprised. Yeah. That's why I I, I vow to keep it alive. Yeah. They're not going to let me. They're not going to get one over on me because they said it's the Thompson Bowling Arena at Food City Center, and they've tried hard to just make it the Food City Center, and I'm not going to allow it.
2: I think they're putting new lettering up there, just maybe some more modern stuff. Really? Yeah. Well, that'd be good. Well, because, I mean, the old renderings still had Thompson Bowling Arena at Food City Center. So. I would be
0: surprised if they didn't.
2: Yeah. Yeah. If they just took it down. I think they might just do, like, some like LED lights or something that's not, like, the old. Because they probably want to give that a little bit of a facelift yeah. that, right before, like, that square, square opens. I think TBA and is, everything. like, the ugliest building on campus from the outside. It's beautiful on the inside. I think it's an eyesore on the outside, though. The communications building is pretty ugly from the back side. The humanities building doesn't look HSS, good either. Yeah, yeah. I was going
0: to say, the humanities building <laughs> never looked good. But, yeah, I mean, Thompson building looks like a, a dump, kind of. I mean,
2: really. If we got it to look like Butler's Place, like just all glass, it'd oh, be
1: yeah. beautiful. Oh, Hinkle Fieldhouse. It's the best.
2: But you have, you have good leadership
0: right now, and I, I think that was highlighted just yesterday when you had the story coming out from Adam Sparks that – that Tennessee had been preparing their fight with the NCAA for the last 14 months. Just having the foresight to know, like, hey, let's keep all of our receipts yep. in case we get audited. Let's keep, let's keep all of our ducks in a row here just in case the NCAA comes calling, which they will. Let's not get caught flat-footed. Let's not be reacting. Let's be proactive.
1: Yeah, it says they were literally preparing information before he even signed. I mean, he probably told him I'm coming. But, you know, they... It was uh, it was great. It it, it was great to read that. It just underscores what we've been saying for weeks now, and that is we're in great hands. They had they would already had university-paid attorneys in place. They they were ready to go to battle. Um, And it sounds like you know if you think back when Donde was saying to the NCAA, "Hey, we tried to get in front of this with you, and you didn't let us." um so good on them man we're again like you said john man we are in good hands
0: feels good feels good to have good leadership it feels good just to win it feels good to go to the game last night and have a pretty good idea that you're going to win against the top 11 opponents feels good to fall behind but but keep that confidence that things are going to work out and they did To get to come in here and do a three-hour show that was basically all talking about the win. I know we had a couple of detours, but, you know, just three hours of kind of celebrating. Yeah. And to still have three big games coming up and to still, you know, have everything ahead of you. Feels good. And then when basketball's over, you roll into a great baseball team and hopefully roll into a a playoff football team. Mm. Don't take it for granted, Sam. When I was in college, things were bad. Things (laughs) were very poor when I was in college. They were bad when I started, too. I watched us lose to Georgia State. Fulmer, Kiffin, Dooley. Yeah. Bruce gets fired. Conzo. We were we were grateful to even like go five hundred in the SEC. You got it you got it so good. Don't take it for granted. The G.I. Jake Show. Jake Miller, Brett Hollander, Marcus Young. Unscripted. Controversial and dangerous coming at you.